You know, I get the privilege each week to stand before this congregation and bring the power of the gospel. And it's an exciting opportunity that you get to share the power of Christ Jesus. Last week we talked about Him resurrecting from the dead. And it was a moment where in that message I was talking about being fully alive. And it isn't just that He was dead and then all of a sudden somebody rushed over there to the tomb and grabbed Him by the wrist and He was still unconscious and they, they said, Oh no, we got a pulse, we got a pulse, He's alive. And you know that wasn't the story. He became fully alive through the power of resurrection. And I don't know how many of you are football fans uh, you know, here today. Uh, how many of you can say, I watched the NFL draft? Just say amen real loud. Okay, a few. All right. For those of you that didn't get to see it, let me tell you what happened. Well, the draft is where they get new players from college, and they're, they're, every team is hopeful. Every team's going to win the Super Bowl because of these new players that they get. And, you know, and, and you, you have those fans that, you know, believe every single year this is the year we're going to win. But I was moved yesterday by one of the selections. He wasn't a first rounder. He's not going to be a superstar. He's probably going to make the team, but probably be a special teams player. But he was picked yesterday in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round, somewhere like that. But his story was something that went right along with my message. See, when he was selected, they started doing a video of like a testimonial of some of the challenges some of these men have gone through in their lives. Like one of them is now, uh, that got drafted in the first round, he was once homeless and living in a car with his father. And now this guy's going to be a millionaire, but that wasn't this player. They started showing his background and what happened was, was he was going through um, school and about to, to enter into college and in a matter of about 20 or 30 minutes his whole life and world turned upside down because in the matter of 20 minutes his mother, uh, they had to call 911, his mother was unresponsive and all of a sudden the family is going from having a family dinner now to following an ambulance and they're going to a hospital and the news wasn't great when they finally discovered what was wrong with her they said there's no cure and they put her on life support and you know when we get on life support or a family member gets on life support, there's a process of, of coming to the courage that it takes to, to maybe come to a decision that's very difficult. Well, it took this family about two weeks. And at the two-week mark, you know, even uh, this young man's father said, you know what, I had to leave the room and, and, and just gather myself because of what was about to happen. During the time where there wasn't anybody in the room, her son went into that, uh, that room and he started to pray. He really, I, I think he used the words, I didn't have any choice because prayer is the only thing that we had left. And he began to pray and ask God for a miraculous healing for his mother. And yet, at the amen, she did not spring back to life. But when they unplugged the machines... She become fully alive. And she stood up or sat up on the side of the, the bed and asked for food. And she got to watch her son go to college and now become a professional football player. 
see, that's what I mean when I'm talking about becoming fully alive. I'm not talking about, you know, just making it. I'm not talking about, you know, what does it even mean to be... Because at last week's sermon, at the end, I preached with a passion and, and was talking about because He lives, you can live. And not just because He lives, you can barely live, but because He become fully alive, you can become fully alive. And what does that even mean? So I'm going to pray. You're going to pray with me. And then we're going to talk about what it means to be fully alive in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, today I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that may fall in this place. That would awaken those that are already saved but not experiencing a fully alive walk and race with you. Father, for those that may be outside of a relationship with you, allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to bring to them the invitation to becoming part of the family of God through the, your Son, Jesus Christ. And I give you the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Well, what does it mean to be fully alive in Christ? The first thing that I want you to do is I want you to, this is probably going to be a more touch your neighbor type of sermon than it was last week. But I want you to look at the person, maybe you don't even have to touch them, but just look at them right in the eyes and say this to the person next to you. I don't have to wait until heaven, I can have Jesus right now. See, I've told you on multiple occasions, the greatest adventure of my life is my adventure with Jesus. Followed, I, I, I want to say closely, but it isn't really that close. But the second greatest adventure is my marriage. I enjoy being married, but the greatest adventure of my life is Christ Jesus. And a lot of times when people that are new to this walk of faith, they're thinking about the Bible and, and sometimes God's been misportrayed and, and they, you know, we've talked about that, how sometimes Christians over time have, have made God this big uh, person up in the sky. He's got a long white hair and long white beard and he's got a big book and he's looking at every move you make and waiting for you to fall short just so he could scratch your name out of the book and that's not the case at all. He's not trying to scratch your name out. He's trying to write your name in. Amen. And a lot of times people view this word of God as a rule book. All just let me read the rules and find out what I've got to give up to find Jesus. Let me find out what I can't do anymore. Oh, how, I, I'm not going to be able to have any fun anymore. I'm here to tell you I have the greatest adventure of my life after salvation. I have not given up anything that I, was significant in comparison to the treasure I found in Jesus. I still have fun. Imagine that. I'm a born again believer and still have fun. I get to go places, I get to see, because the adventure of my life in Christ has been, I've been able to see miracles, I've been able to participate in miracles at times. I've been literally able to pray with people that were dying and see them not die. I've been able to see, as many of you know, that uh, you know one of the greatest miracles I can attribute to my vocational ministry is praying for an, uh, a, a toddler that was completely blind and watching the power of God restore his sight. And, and it's, it's something awesome when somebody is blind, but now they can see. That's something that you say, well, man, I thought that just happened in the pages of the Bible. No, man, every day I look at each and every day as an adventure with God. And God, what do you have for me today? 
And see, what causes confusion, why I told you that you could have Jesus now, you didn't have to wait until heaven, is that some people get saved and they've considered this like holy fire insurance, that they now don't have to go to hell. And they think that the prize of their salvation was, I just don't have to go to hell. There's so much more on the positive side. That's kind of the negative side of the ledger. Okay, you don't have to go to hell. And now you get the privilege of spending eternity in heaven. But that's the finish line if salvation is the starting point and heaven is the finish line there's a whole race called life that can be run with an adventure that you don't have to wait many people in their Christian walk are just waiting for these words well done thy good and faithful servant thou have been faithful over a few things I'll make you ruler over many enter thou into the joy of the Lord powerful statements I can't wait to hear them But man, I either got to die or he's got to come back today for me to hear those words. And you know what? Same thing yesterday. And you know what? I didn't die and he didn't come back yesterday. But I still can have the authority and the joy and the abundant life of living through Christ because I found something as equally beneficial and as equally powerful in Scripture when he doesn't just say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But catch this. He calls you a son or a daughter right now. That means I'm part of the family. That means that I have something to live for. That means that I am now a son of the Most High. I am considered part of the family of God. According to Scripture in John 1, 5 and 12, it says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. And John 3 and 20, or Galatians 3 and 26 says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Can somebody say amen? That if you're a man in this place, you're called the son of God. And if you're a lady in this place, you're the daughter of God. That's a privilege and a wonderful moment for you to live in the power of your salvation is now your family. Family changes everything. See, I have the benefit of raising two boys. And when they were small, they did the same thing your kids did. Like when they were three months old, they couldn't go to the bathroom. Not in the bathroom. They could go, but they went in their pants. Now, I know you've had the most wonderful children of all times and yours are perfect and M- Michelle and I thought ours were perfect. But I am, I, if you, did anybody have their kids potty trained at three months old? No. And if you did, we're going to pray for you. It's called lying. <laughs> but you know what? They messed up. They got messy. But they were still my kids. They, they had a privilege because you know what? I'm not going to change your kids' diapers. It smells. That's your job, not mine. Now, if it was necessary, I would come on the scene and and do that, but I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do it to mine. I said, Shell. She said, oh, no. Whoever smells it does it. You know... Now I've got an out with my grandchildren because they're little girls and I don't know how to do that. So I, I, I turn that over to other people. 
But the point being made is I did not have to... The reward of my salvation was not me waiting to go to heaven. That now I have a companionship of fellowship as being a part of the family of God. And now I'm called a son. So now I have the opportunity to live. That's when the Bible started coming alive to me when I started looking at it through the relationship that I had with God as a son of God. Is all of a sudden now, all of a sudden He is willing to walk with me through some messy situations to teach me how to grow up in this faith and he's never going to abandon me. He is my heavenly father that I get to call dad and he gets the privilege of calling me son. That's good stuff. Because I don't know about you, but when I started realizing I was a son, it started to help me because now the prodigal son story started to make sense. And let me tell you how that starts to make sense. We had over 20 people. Last Sunday is the first time in 10 years I've known how many people went to church here on a Sunday morning. That's the first time in 10 years I've known the exact number. And what is more important is not that we had nearly 1,000 people in attendance. What's the most important number is we had over 20 people get saved. Can somebody say amen? And maybe you're one of the 20 people. Here's what, here's what happened to you last week. And it happened to me so you could be in good company because you didn't know if you should give up even before this Sunday because you realized that you prayed last week and you really meant it and Jesus took your sins away, but you found out you weren't perfect. How many days did it take? It took me like two or three. You know, when I realized, oh my goodness, I cussed before I, I, I said the prayer and I accidentally cussed after I said the prayer. Just being honest. Oh my goodness, I had bad thoughts before the prayer and I prayed the prayer and my mind went to places I wish it wouldn't have gone this week and I've had bad thoughts to this week too. Anybody, ever, anybody have those problems? Yeah. Because what you have to understand is the first thing that you've got to do after you realize the starting point from the ending point is that you don't have to wait to heaven to have a relationship with Jesus. The second thing you need to know is get your mind right because the enemy will not want to just show up in your living room. If you're waiting for the red suit guy to come and sit in your living room and tell you you're, he's going to kill you and he's going to take your life away and he's going to do all of those things, that's probably not going to happen because he don't have a red suit. He's not on the Devil Ham commercial. He is the devil he is an angel that was created with beauty but has been marred by sin and rebellion. And to know, you know where he attacks you is not in your living room. He attacks you in your mind. When all of a sudden in the third day where you found out you still weren't perfect and he whispers in your ear, I told you it wasn't real. Yes, it is. When he told you, wait a minute, I thought that you were going to be different now. You're just a hypocrite. No, you're not. You're saved. The only difference is, is that now you have the authority to fight this enemy in your mind. And you say, Pastor, give me some ammunition. He come this week. The prodigal son is the perfect ammunition. Is that, did you realize that he asked his father for something that was crazy? And we say that we would never do it, but we do it all the time. Let me give you a hint. He come to his father and said, I know you ain't dead yet. And I'm supposed to wait with grace until you die. But I want your stuff now. And so why don't you give me your stuff while you're still alive so I can go do my own thing? You say, Pastor, I've never done that to God. How many times have you thought you known better about your life than God? 
Every single time you started battling your flesh and your flesh said, that's not the right person for you to be dating. And you go, but boy, they look good. And God, I'm just going to pray them through to the victory. I know they ain't saved. And, and your word says not to be unequally yoked. And, and I know, but I'm going to bring them to the knowledge. And what happens is, is, is your lust and your desire start overwhelming you when he says, no, you can't do that just yet. You ain't married. This is... this. I, I know you were expecting me to come in here after Easter and tell everybody they're all going to heaven. And you can go to heaven, but there is a such thing called sin. Amen? And you can't bend the Bible to fit your life. You've got to bend your life to fit the Bible. So all of a sudden, he starts whispering in your ear. You said the prayer, but now it's time to live the life. Okay, so now we got this. He says, give me my stuff. And you know what? The Father does it. It's incredible. I'd have told my boys, I said, get away from me. Wait till I die, vulture. <laughs> but not this guy. He gives his son his inheritance, and we know what happens. He goes out and takes all of this money and starts partying and thinking he's got a bunch of friends, and then his money runs out. He becomes broke, and his friends disappear, and he becomes destitute and homeless, living in a pig pen. You know what? Not a single party he attended to according to the scripture that that story is written about that called him anything different than a son. He was a son in the house. He was a son out of the house. He was a son when he was in rebellion. He was a son when he was in the pig pen. Even caked with pig stuff and returning home to become a servant. He wanted to exchange his identity from being a son to a servant, and he was going to go tell the father, I don't even deserve to be your son anymore. And the father looks at him with, with, with craziness and says, you, what are you talking about? You're not a servant in this house. You're my son, and my son was once dead, and now he's alive, and you're going to get the robe of the family, you're going to get the ring of the family, and you're going to get the shoes of the family because you're my son. Can somebody say Amen. And we have the authority to live in the sonship of God. And that means when I fall short, and I do. How many of you got confused because you still had a sin pop up after you got saved? Yeah, you want me to tell you something that's going to give you some hope? You're in good company. Let's think of a, a superhero in the Bible. Let's take the Apostle Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Book New Testament only has 27, so he writes half of them. How many of you will agree with me that you believe the Apostle Paul is in heaven today? Say amen. amen. Yeah, look at what he says. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to, but I do the very thing that I hate. Doesn't it sound like you and me? When flesh issues start to happen and you fall short of the glory of God and the enemy says, oh, he's going to kill you, he's going to strike you with lightning, you're a hypocrite. No, I'm not, I'm a son. And he's teaching me how to live in his likeness and in his image. And I get to have the blessing of this wonderful gift called grace. Grace, unmerited favor. See, when you had your kids, if you're a parent, you had your kids, you understood that they got unmerited favor because you know what, they're going to cry at 2 o'clock in the morning. Guess what? You don't want to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning. You don't want to change their diapers. You don't want when they start to have teeth for them to bite you, but they do. 
And then they get older and you think that they're, the, those problems are behind you because now they can go to the bathroom on their, uh, by themselves and do the things that they need. And, and, and all of a sudden, for all of you that have teenagers, there's hope. But I'm telling you, the, more, the older they get, the more expensive they get. And even as adults, they still come home sometimes. So here is this Apostle Paul saying, I know what, I know that, I know the right thing to do, but I find myself doing the wrong thing sometimes. And we get to fall into this thing called unmerited favor called grace. You know what, my kids, they, they get a lot of airtime up here because uh, that's the stories I have to tell. But you know, they've had moments where they've made me proud, but you know that they've had moments that they hurt me. Broke my heart. I cried. But no matter what they ever did, they were never not my son. They, their identity never changed with me. Now some things that they were doing I didn't appreciate. And I did the same thing to my parents. Now my, I thank God my boys never got to the place where I got to. But they did some things wrong along the way. But they were never not my son because of grace. See, grace is unmerited favor. But you have to understand, he was a son all through, the, all through the story. But even when he come home, he had to once again submit to the authority of the rules of the house and submit to the authority of the father, which was the head of the house. Grace is not your, your uh, excuse to go through habitual sin time and time again. Grace is the opportunity that you have to make adjustments and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to convict you when you are walking in disobedience to navigate you back to obedience. So the Father, we can be a reflection of who He is. I am most proud when I think that they act like me. When I see them do things. Amy, if you'll get ready to play something. See, there's things that happen. And he's leaving, so take a pic, look at that guy right over there, the red-headed one. <laughs> See, I remember when he didn't have two nickels to rub together. But he had watched his mom and I be generous. And I remember him having lunch money and telling me the story. And he said, Dad, I drove up to go through a drive-thru at work. And it was on my lunch hour. And I saw somebody that was hungry. And I only had the money to buy one meal. And I decided that I could eat dinner, but they may not have dinner. And I bought it for them. And I thought, man, that made me so proud. See, we get the opportunity to live for the Lord in the power of grace not so we can continue being disobedient, but, but through the process of us becoming more like Him, we get the leverage of the peace that we never stop being sons and daughters of God along the process of Him perfecting us. And when that happens, you get set free because you realize, holy smokes, God loves me in such a way that He's going to keep me. See, the book of Jude tells you this. He doesn't start something. He doesn't have the capabilities of finishing. And sometimes in the battlefield of your mind, for you to live abundant life through your faith, sometimes you've got to talk back to the devil. Who gives him the authority to just talk to you and you just accept whatever he says? See, sometimes he's telling the truth. 
Sometimes he says, see, I told you you weren't saved. See, I told you you weren't perfect. See, I told you. And you know he's telling you the truth. But what he's trying to do is get you to look at the frailty of your humanity instead of the perfection of your Savior. And so you need to talk back and say, you know what? You're right. I had a bad thought today, but the power of my salvation is not in my thought process. It's in the process of him spilling his blood and getting up from the dead and calling me a son. That's what makes me saved. And until he falls short, until he fails, I'm going to stay saved because he's not going to fail or fall short. And so the last but not least of these things to make you feel abundant life in Christ is that you're running a race. Anybody ever start a New Year's resolution, something like this? I'm never going to eat sugar again as long as I live. I'm going to exercise every single day. I'm going to lose 25 pounds in eight days. <laughs> Those are unrealistic goals. But you know what? You realize how it is to convince yourself not to do something when you're the only one you've got to convince? Like you promised to get up and run a mile every morning. But you, and you've done it for three straight mornings. You know how easy it is when it's really cold outside and you're really warm in the bed and that little voice says, just don't run today. You can run later. And then you never run. And then you find yourself not exercising hardly at all anymore because the only one that you had to convince not to do it was you because you were fighting by yourself. See, this walk of faith is not intended, this race that you're walking or you're running is not intended to run alone. See, you have somebody running with you called God the Holy Spirit that seals you with the righteousness of God. See, tell your neighbor, said, I'm not running alone. The adventure of your faith is not a race intended for you to run alone. God the Father and God the Son sent you a partner or a companion. He is God the Holy Spirit. John 14 and 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Say forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Because they're not family. Because it neither sees Him or knows Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now I have the power of the Holy Spirit that when I fall short and I find myself less than perfect, I hear the voice of the enemy trying to accuse me to go back and live under bondage. But I also hear the power of the voice of God the Holy Spirit whisper, you are still a son and get up and act like you are somebody. See, that's what I used to hear from my mom and in in my dad in the depths of my rebellion. They would come in. I remember one time I, I, I lived in a garage. I called it a bedroom. They put an air-conditioned duct in there, and I called it my room. And it had shelves still like a garage. I remember whenever I was so proud of my decor. I remember on every inch of that shelf, there was a fifth, an empty fifth bottle side by side. Now you got to imagine, my, my, my dad has never drank a drop of alcohol to this day. And when they walked into my room, they looked like they had seen a ghost. And you know what? They didn't come in and say, you're going to hell. 
No, they reminded me who I was. Said, David, I know you're presently living in these circumstances, but we raised you better than this. And one day you're going to come to yourself and you're going to act like you're somebody because we know beyond the surface of this situation, there's somebody inside of you that God's got a destiny for and will restore and you're going to do something for the kingdom of God. They saw that in the midst of the fifth empty fifth bottles that they saw me tearing my life apart Part. See, when you fall short, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, He'll say, you are somebody. I know that they don't think that you are, but you are somebody. Amen. Thank you. Listen to what the Holy Spirit does for you. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That means when the enemy says, you ain't even going to make it to heaven. Yes, I am. Because he said, I'm guaranteed, I'm sealed to possess the inheritance of my salvation. I don't have to wait until heaven to know Jesus. I'm a son of God. I, get the, I can get my mind right. I have the gift of grace. And I don't have to run this race alone. I didn't say this in first service, but I'm going to say it here. I got, to do, I got to participate in one of the most miraculous things me and Miss Ann got to do this yesterday that I've ever been a part of in vocational ministry. Yeah, yesterday, 5 o'clock, wedding. You talk about transformational power, out on Sanibel. I remember when the lady that was a part of that wedding was so broken. My favorite part of her whole faith story was one day I was preaching my guts out and she was here and, and she didn't know to say amen. So she just said, hell yeah. That's one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite moments. But you know what? She was so broken and so messed up that the world and the weight of sin and the power of addictions had been so much of a weight on her that she literally was in jail for prostitution. And you know what I saw yesterday? I saw a man that was a redeemer standing up there in a tuxedo as she walked out in a white dress because she is no longer what she used to be. But the power of God transformed her into a woman of God and more than a woman of God, a wife to a husband. Man, that's the adventure of this life in Christ is what do I have to face tomorrow that I don't have to face alone? What is it that's going to come my way and the enemy try to choke out the joy of my soul? See, when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, do you know that the three, number three, one, two, and three gift are fruits of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace? Isn't that what you need to be happy? And the world's looking for it in all kinds of places and can't discover it. But I have the, the source living inside of me from the point of my salvation. And so do you. So you can have life and have it more abundantly right now. And when you fall short, it isn't a, a grace is not an excuse for you to continue in your sin. It's to be corrected and be 
processed and allow the process to take hold in your spiritual maturity. So all of you that got saved last week, that found yourself sinning this week, you're still saved. Just keep on walking as a son or a daughter of God.